This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, August 19th, 2018. Back to school, the code of conduct. Well, good morning. So today we continue our series back to school, looking at um, getting ready, preparing for returning to the classroom and discovering what we might, what we might learn from that for our Christian walk. Good morning again. Sorry. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we, we talked about new school year's resolutions, and last week we talked about what's in your pencil case this morning. We're going to focus on the code of conduct. Yeah. Good morning, Connection Church. My name's Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who've been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for bringing us together this morning and for your word found in scripture. Open us up that we might receive the message that you would have in store for each one of us today. Settle us in. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So the Code of Conduct, the Apoquinemic School District's Code of Conduct is 112 pages long, and it covers everything from attendance to bus privileges to computer usage. It covers assault and sexual misconduct and even terroristic threatening. It covers student responsibilities and rights, outlines four levels of violation of rules of behavior, as well as disciplinary procedures. I know that the teachers and the principals in this room know this code of conduct very well. There are appendices that cover much of the district policy uh, on firearms and harassment and bullying. The district takes this very, very seriously and expects their students and their parents to do that as well. And so there's a sheet that students and parents need to sign that they have received this, and the parents are asked to review the code of conduct with their children and have a discussion regarding school expectations. Aren't you all really excited yeah. to do this? Well, the, the Ely's were, we could see that. Anyway, so what's that got to do with us here at CCC this morning? Well, you know, when we look in the scriptures, when we look in the Bible, we're given a code of conduct as well. We find it in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. After the Hebrews escaped slavery in Egypt, the, the beginning of their 40-year hike through the desert, Moses went up the mountain, and God gave him a basic code of conduct. We know it as the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and we find that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I thought I heard you say something. <laughs> we find it in chapter 20 uh, in the Old Testament, verses 1 through 17. Maybe you're familiar with it. We're going to go over it just the same. We've abbreviated some just because they're kind of lengthy. Okay, here we go. So beginning at verse 1, And God spoke all these words. I am, you shall have no other gods before me, but starts with, I am the Lord your God. 
Anyway, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a great, an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not, shall not, ooh. Boy, we worked hard yesterday. You shall not, not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Okay. I'm really glad we're not live right now, Barry. <laughs> but we are. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder, number six. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And last but not least, number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. There you go. All right, so the Ten Commandments were just the beginning. There are a lot of other rules and regulations found in the book of Exodus, but it's also found in Deuteronomy, and there are a lot of them found in Leviticus. All told, tradition tells us that there are about 613 rules and regulations, 613 entries of the Code of Conduct. Can you imagine trying to keep all that together, trying to live by 613 rules? Well, it was tough. The Pharisees kept track of them, and in Jesus' time, they seemed fairly rigid in regard to those rules because the code of conduct was their main focus. They needed, they were preoccupied with keeping things in order and making sure that everybody else followed the code of conduct as well. Amen that. So then in the book of Mark, in the New Testament, second, second book, Matthew, Mark, um, uh, we read where one of the teachers of the law, he asked Jesus, of all these commandments, of, he doesn't say it, but of all the 613, which is the most important? Which does, do I need to really focus on? Which one? And, and the most important one, answered Jesus, and, and we've shared this before here, is, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Say this with me, will you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he says the second is this, and say this also, please. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Wow. And so when Jesus says this, he's actually quoting um, two commandments from the Old Testament. First, we should love God with everything we've got, and that's found in Deuteronomy, the first part of the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Love God with everything you've got. We've kind of paraphrased verses 4 and 5. And then second, we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and that's also found in Leviticus 19, verse 18. Jesus has con um, condensed all of these commandments into two because basically we are called to two things love God and love one another now there's a lot in there but it's love God and love others as we love ourselves mm. and then the love your neighbor as yourself you know it's found 
like eight times between the Old and New Testament, eight times that's found in the Scriptures. And I don't know, we're trying to figure out love neighbor as yourself, okay? I mean, I have to love myself first. It's interesting when you start chewing on that and what that really means. And we were talking about this yesterday, and I'll try this on, try this on. What if it means this, love your neighbor as you yourself are loved by God? In other words, love and care for your neighbor the way God loves you. Sometimes that might be easier said than done, but I think that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. And so the question becomes, who is our neighbor? Jesus was asked that question. We find it in the book of Luke. We find it in chapter 10, where an expert of the religious law, somebody who was considered very knowledgeable, he asks Jesus what he should do, what he could do, what he must do to have eternal life. And Jesus turns the question back on him and says, well, what does the scripture say? Well, the expert in the law knows, and uh, he replies, he answered, the, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he, the expert in religious law, wanted to justify himself. How often do we want to do that, justify ourselves? So he asked Jesus, and, and I kind of hear like a little smart alecky thing. Oh, it might not be the case, but, and who is my neighbor? He's trying to trip up Jesus, I think, as they often try to do. He's trying to kind of trump him. Well, what's interesting is he gets trumped uh, in Jesus' response. Because Jesus responds with a parable, one of those short stories that tells a greater truth. And, and uh, we, this particular one's often known as the parable or the story of the good Samaritan. Jesus in this story then, and I mean, he's making it up, but it's, again, it's a story that could have happened and it tells a greater truth. He tells the story of a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and that's a, a path that goes through some, um, some places where robbers could easily hide out and come down and attack you. And so this man was attacked by robbers who stripped him, and, and, and they, they robbed him, and they beat him, and they left him for dead. So then a priest comes by, and, and, and he sees the man, and instead of stopping and helping him, he actually passes by, kind of goes on the other side to go around him. Wow. And then another religious guy known as a Levite, a religious guy from the day, a leader from that Hebrew community, he passed on the other side as well. Both of these guys purposely avoid this guy who they, they think's dead. See, back then, if you came in contact with a dead body, then you were considered unclean. You couldn't go to worship, and you couldn't go in the temple. And we think maybe that's why they passed by, but they avoided a guy who was in need of some help. But a Samaritan. Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses a Samaritan. I mean, he's making this up, but he pulls that out on purpose because a Samaritan was someone who was hated by the Jewish community. Samaritans were here, Jews were here, and they did not care for each other at all. And so Jesus selects this in this story for great reason, for great purpose. And he says a Samaritan came along, and, and he stopped 
and helped the injured man. He took pity on him. He attended his wounds. He loaded him on his donkey and took him to an end where he continued to care for him. And the next day, he had to get on his way, but he keep, puts this guy in the care of the innkeeper, giving some money to him to care for him and saying, if it takes even more than I've given you, I'll make up the difference the next time I come through. Wow. Wow. So then Jesus says to the law expert, <laughs> now he probably didn't say it smart alecky, but <laughs> he could have, couldn't he? In response to the guy's question him, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert, now it doesn't say, but I'm sure he had to swallow hard on this one. Because Samaritans, you don't want to give them any credit at all. But he says, the one who had mercy on him, that was his neighbor. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So, Jesus, <laughs> you're telling us that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves even the ones that we might not care for, even the ones, as Scripture identifies, the ones who are despised? And Jesus' answer is pretty emphatic. The answer is yes. Yes, everybody is your neighbor, and we are called to love or care or actually have respect for everybody the ones that we like, the ones that we don't care for. And that's because everyone matters to God. Everyone was designed and created by God, and we must treat one another, those we know, those we don't know, those who are like us, those who are not like us. We must treat one another with respect because God tells us that we must love our neighbor as ourselves. And our neighbor is everyone. And so then, then we know what a neighbor is, but then we got to ask, well, what's this love business? What does that really mean for me to love my neighbor? What, 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 what's the love thing here? And, and, and we can turn to Paul, the Apostle Paul, for an answer to this. He, he outlines it pretty well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a, it's often known as the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now I pronounce you man and wife. Because <laughs> you've heard this, you've probably heard, how many have heard this at a wedding? Yeah, this is like the wedding verse, isn't it? We get a couple in. We give them the list, you know, that many scriptures. Which one? Pfft, hello? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a. That's the one. Yeah. And for good reason, right? 
Isn't this a great verse for a couple to, as they're entering to life together, to, to try to focus on? It makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, it's a great, great wedding verse. The thing is, though, that's not what Paul wrote it for. It works well, but that's not what, his, what it was all about in the beginning. This was part of a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, which is in Greece. And, and, and the reason for this letter is because that church was having some serious internal struggles. It's hard to believe a church would have internal struggles, isn't it? But back then, that, that happened. And, 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 and one of those struggles was that the people in that church were so single-mindedly focused on their own spirituality that they were having problems with other people in the faith who were seeing things a little differently than they were, who had gifts that were different than theirs. You see, um, before we get to verse 4, Paul, Paul talks about a person might have spiritual gifts like prophecy or knowledge or faith or even speaking in tongues. But he says, oh, that means absolutely nothing if we don't have love. He said, we can give all we have to the poor. Wow, that's generous. And, 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 and we can even sacrifice our own bodies, but we're still nothing if we don't have love. The love that Paul talks about is the love that we talk about. It's called agape love. It's love that we cannot earn. It's a love that's unmerited. It's a love that's unconditional, and it's the love that God has for each one of you. And it's the love that Jesus calls us to have for one another. It's the love that Jesus calls us to have, even for our neighbor. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And so this love is not a romantic, gooey love. You make that sound bad. <laughs> gooey. You make my liver quiver kind of love. Nor is it the love that we get the name of Philadelphia from, philo, brotherly, sisterly kind of love. That's why that city is known as the city of brotherly love. That's a Greek word for that kind of love, philo. No, no, this is a love that we don't fall into. It's not a feeling. It's a love that we choose. We decidedly choose. It's a love we share when we choose to be patient with someone even when they're pushing our patience to the limit. It's a love that we share when we are kind to someone, even when they're not being very kind to us. It's a love we share that isn't envious, envious or boastful or proud. Envy, which means not just I wish I had it, I wish I had it and you didn't. I wish I had the thing that you have instead of you having it. Wow. Boastful meaning that it's all about me. And pride, just look at the very middle of that word and what do you see? 
Yep, all about me. Center of all sin, pride, basically, if you look at it. Because when I'm prideful, I put myself in the middle. Not God, not other people, it's me. And putting myself at the center is the, that's, that's the basic recipe for all sin. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. To honor someone really is at the core of all relationships. To not tear down, but to build up, to honor. We have this thing between us where if, if I hear Alan say, Carrie, I felt dishonored when you said, or I felt dishonored when you did this, that breaks my heart. That's so much more heartbreaking to me than like I'm mad at you or I'm ticked off or whatever. You've dishonored me. Because dishonoring is sort of tearing away at the very fabric of someone. Why would we want to do that to each other? You know, love does not dishonor those we know, those we don't know. Love does not dishonor nor is it self-seeking. And back to the pride thing, back to, you know, the world is all centered around me. We have an acronym around here. A lot of you know it. It's four letters. I am. It's not about me. So the love that we speak of, that Paul speaks of, is a it's not about me kind of love. Love is not easily angered. Goes along with everything else, right? Patience. Kindness, focusing on the other person rather than on self. And then there's love keeps no record of wrongs. I just think Paul is starting to meddle at this point, don't you? I think he's gone past the point because he's starting to really hit home with me on this one. Maybe some of you can see that too. You know, how many of us Keep that list. A good place for it right here in the back pocket because you can get to it real quickly, but it's not you know, readily apparent. But you can reach in at any moment when you need it to be able to throw it out on the table. And it might not be a real physical list, but many of us have it there just the same. You know the list. Many of you know the list I'm talking about. It's got dates. It's got the time. It might even have it right down to the second of all the details. Of course, the challenge is those details have been filtered through my personal filter, which never makes anything, sees anything other than actually has it happen. Same with yours, right? Yeah, we all have that personal filter that's perfect. And, 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 and that list, all those things that that other person, it might be your spouse, might be a friend, might be a co, might be that person you really don't like. That's especially good for that list. All the things that they've done wrong what they've messed up. And, and then it, that list justifies us to, to have an attitude or to get upset. And especially, we keep it just ready in case that person tries to hold us accountable to something we've done wrong. You're, well, how about the time? Well, how about the time you? And then you throw it out there on the table and you know exactly when it happened. And we hold it over them to justify our actions. And then this Smarty Pants Paul tells us that love means throwing that list out. Not keeping that record 
basically continuing to start over with a clean state slate with that person. Ouch. Ouch. You know, this, this isn't in, the, in what we were going to say, but I was just thinking about that. And when we keep a record like that, it's really like being in jail. It is, it keeps us from feeling free. Because when we lay down that and just get rid of it, there's a freedom. We're not, I mean, the other person could care less. It's, it's us that's held in those chains. And so it really is important. It's like forgiveness. It's important to just set it aside and be free. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Satan delights in evil. Satan delights in causing division between us, between people around us. Satan is the father of all lies. And so love is just the opposite of what Satan brings. Love does not delight in what Satan delights in. Love rejoices in trust. And that is the opposite of what Satan rejoices in. Satan wants to tear down, break apart that trust. Love is the opposite of evil as it rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so love is consistently positive, consistently looking out for and caring for, trusting, hoping, enduring, staying the course. Love never fails. It's that constant that holds everything together. We're told in 1 John, that's in near the end of the Bible, near the end of that New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, real simply, God is love. The three, three of the most important words you can just have at your disposal. God is is love. And if we go basically to, to the other end of the scripture, to the beginning back in Exodus, what we're told is that we're made in God's image. God is love. We're made in God's image. Get the connection? So we are to be love as well, which would mean then that we always protect. We always trust. We hope. We persevere. At least that's the plan, right? That's the idea. It's the way it's supposed to be, ideally. And you know, some days, hopefully many days, we get it right. And that's how it works in our day-to-day -day lives. Code of conduct. Jesus makes it pretty clear. Jesus says, love me, love God, love one another. Love God with everything we've got and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the agape kind of love. That's the kind of love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the I am, it's not about me kind of love. It's taking 613 rules and regulations and boiling them down to two. Love God, love others. Mm. So to this point in the message, we usually give you a question to consider, to ponder, to 
pontificate. Today it's not going to be a question, but it's going to be a challenge. And the challenge is this. We would ask you to give careful thought and prayer to where you're coming up short in the love department, your love for God and your love for others. Coming up short in the loving your neighbor as yourself. Where you're shortchanging God and who is it in your life that you need to start showing some love to or more love to. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's the guy across the fence. Maybe it's that person that you really don't like. Oh. Someone the thought of showing more love to is absolutely foreign to your soul. I'm going to ask you to spend some time in prayer seeking God's direction for where, where you need to direct this and seeking God's strength to help you do it. And you know what? God, well, God will give you what you need. He'll, he'll direct you to who it is. God, the Holy Spirit will give you the strength you need to do what God calls you to do. Encourage you to at least take that first step and living out that code of conduct. You can start here on the steps at your seat. I'd like to pray with some people out there in the corner. love to pray with you back there if you'd like to talk it out. But don't, don't stop short. Don't give it five seconds here and say, I'm done. encourage you to spend some time this week really digging, really praying, really seeking God's direction on who it is. And it might be more than one person. And especially seeking the, seeking the strength for what God would call you to do to show more love to whoever that might be. So that we might live out that code of conduct that Jesus gave us, that simple two-point code of conduct. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? That's the good news. Let's believe it. Let's live it. And let's pray. Almighty God, it is sometimes hard to have kindness and compassion when oftentimes we experience harshness. There's a lot of harshness in this world. There's a lot of hate. Help us be vessels of love. And we've, we've talked a bit about this love chapter, this code of conduct, and who do we need to show love to. But, God, I'm, I'm convicted that it's people we don't even know. We need to defend those who can't defend themselves. That's showing love. We need to treat people that we don't know with kindness and respect, look at people in the eye when we see them. So oftentimes, those of us who have strong opinions or strong thoughts lash out at people who think differently. Lord, help us always have tenderness and respect for one another. That's what it means when you say, love God and love our neighbor. Thank you, Lord, because you are a good, good father, and you love us in such a perfect way. Help us love others the way you love us.
I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.